I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, Rose Choice, and this is another interview. And we've been trending. We've been trending a bit. We've been talking with IRA and NCAA coaches. Uh, at the highest possible level. And I got a guy. Oh, I got a guy. Now, we were competitive with each other. Yes. Uh, we raced each other, uh, not at high school, because he was with a different program that really wasn't in the eights a whole lot. But we raced each other at the collegiate level. And I think by count, he has me beat two to one. I really don't want to get into that. But this is the head coach of University of Pennsylvania men's rowing team. This guy, this is this is one of the most talked about positions uh, in rowing for those like four or five months and rowers choice has been talking about it. Folks were talking about it all around boathouse row. And, uh, were we surprised he got the job? No, we were not. Now we're going to be talking about his path from first stroke to where he is today. And then the two big topics that we're going to get into, um, because he spent most of his career at the collegiate level recruiting is I want to know what the biggest difference is between European recruits and American recruits. And I bet this guy's got a really good uh, insight into that. And then lastly, uh, you know, a couple months on the job, I want to know how, what are the biggest differences between Dartmouth and Penn? And you know, we're going to dive really deep into that because I have my own opinions. Al Monte, thanks for being here. What's up, Alex? Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, it. I I'm thrilled, man. Well, look, you know, for everyone to know, you're in the boathouse. It's absolutely beautiful, right? This is you're in the boathouse. I am. You gave yeah. me a tour. I wanted to thank you for that. It was at a beautiful place. It's like Mecca, you know, you get everything you need. Um, but look, let's start. Let's do the first question, like I always do. How old were you, and where were you when you took that first stroke? Hmm. Uh, I was 14, I guess, maybe 13. It was in 1999, so I actually started to row in the 90s, um, which I think is. Doesn't seem that far away or long ago for me, but uh, I think for a lot of the kids that I talk to and interact with on a daily basis, it's, um, you know. Well, they weren't even bored. They weren't even born. 90s, like, yeah. It's how I think about maybe the 70s or the 60s or something. But um, yeah, I was, I was uh, a freshman in high school at Roman Catholic down here on the Schuylkill River. Um, and my first strokes were in a quad. Yeah. Uh, in the fall of 1999. You know, so Boathouse Row, I mean, most people that listen to this uh, or sometimes tune in, um, they know how historic Boathouse Row is. It's it's everything to, to, to rowers, right? Um, Roman Catholic at the time, and, and not, not as much anymore, but powerhouse. Like Roman Catholic, if you said who's at the starting line of the grand final of the quad, men's quad at Stotes and SRAs, Roman Catholic is usually in that conversation. What was the team like? What was the energy like? And, and how did you find rowing at the school? Yeah, um, I think I found it uh, in the same way that many have. Um, it was an indirect path that was uh, in some ways forced upon me because I wasn't good enough at a ball sport, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I, I had played basketball in grade school uh, and I tried out for the Roman team and uh, I think they humored me a bit. Uh, if anyone knows anything about high school basketball, Roman Catholic is pretty darn good. Um, and I am not that good. Uh, so they said, you know, thanks for coming. Uh, you're, you're tall. Have you thought about rowing? And I said, what's rowing? I don't even know what rowing is. What are you talking about? 
And uh, they said, well, listen, there's going to be a meeting, um, you know, down the hall in about 45 minutes. You should, you should go. So I was like, oh, wow. It was like that day. Like, Hey, yeah. So I I ended up going to the rowing meeting. And next thing I knew I was uh, at the boathouse, which was a walk from Roman. You know, we could walk to the boathouse from Roman. Sure. And um, yeah, they kind of, that was it. I, I didn't know anything, honestly. I just showed up every day and people kept telling me I was doing a good job. And um, I started to look around and be like, oh, I, 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 you know, I'm on this machine and there's a number that I'm producing and it's better than some people's numbers and people are telling me I'm doing well. Uh, and then, you know, that trickled over to the water and, um, you know, then I was hooked and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm actually good at this. I was always kind of the guy that was always trying to pick it up uh, in terms of uh, other sports hmm. and other people were, you know, I felt like I was behind, but this is, rowing is great in the sense that it's an equalizer. We're all starting from the same place. Um, and I felt like, oh, I'm really fortunate that um, I have some aptitude for this and, and I'm actually seeing it and I'm feeling it and that's giving me energy and I'm excited to show up every day. How, uh, okay, so I don't know what your parents or how involved they were. You know, my parents were not really involved in, in, in rowing at the time and I'm mainland, so I'm like 50 miles away from you. I would race there. Um, you came home after this meeting. Did you, did they even know what rowing was? Like, how was that conversation? Well, I think everyone in Philadelphia knows Boathouse Row, right? Because it's on every, every telecast, you know, the, the six o'clock news, the 10 o'clock news, the 11 o'clock news, they're going to have a, you know, a picture of Boathouse Row. So I think that is generally, uh, I think people's, you know, their, their, uh, their perception of what rowing is, is, is just, it happens down here on the river. Um, I think, you know, they were excited for sure. Um, you know, going to an all boy Catholic school, I, you know, there's a certain, yeah, you play sports, you know, okay. You're getting into a new sport. Let's, we'll support you through that. So I felt pretty supported. Uh, my dad was a baseball player. Um, you know, my mom was just a supportive mom, <laughs> uh, you know, she worked two jobs, but and to help fund all this stuff for me. But, uh, yeah, she, you know, she was like, yeah, whatever you want to do. Was your mom one of those obsessive crew moms that like went down and like flip burgers and like, you know, made the arrangements for everybody? My mom did end up becoming the, the, the tent mom or so to speak. Of course. I, I don't know why I knew that. How did I know that? Of course she did. Uh, but she had, you know, as you kind of pointed out beforehand, she, we were walking onto a team that was uh, pretty darn good. Like, I didn't know that. I just, I just knew yeah. that people said we were good. Um, so, uh, you know, there was already that infrastructure in place in terms of parent support, obviously great coaching, uh, competitive success. So, um, it was like joining a new family, but obviously being the little brother and, or, uh, the newcomer, uh, as time went, went on, um, and the older parents started to, you know, uh, graduate off, uh, my mom just said, yeah, I can hop in. I can do this. Right in. Oh, you know? God, I love it. I, I love that. All right. So. Let's talk about your success or maybe lack thereof at Roman Catholic. Uh, did you make the top quad? Did you make like, what boats were you in in those four years? Yeah, um, I, I did make the top quad. Um, yeah, I mean, things which I really appreciate um, at the freshman level at Roman started slowly. I mean, I, I took, you know, I was on the erg, we were doing a lot of running, it was more fitness. Um, that it was rowing, but my first strokes were in a sculling boat with spoon oars. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Um, and we were not allowed to row with anything but spoon oars until our sophomore year. 
So I raced my entire freshman year rowing with uh, Macon Blades. What's I mean, what's what's the what's the reasoning behind that? Did they even like explain to you why you they would do that for to you guys? An incredible influence on my rowing career has been obviously my high school coach, Tom Henwood. And if you know anything about uh, Boathouse Row and some of the names that are uh, prevalent around here, definitely Henwood is one of them. There's a, there was a lot of them. Um, that had yeah. Well, did you, you, did you row with Matt Henwood? Did you row with I his did. son? I rode with him at Marietta for a year. So you and yeah. I, we have that connection. Uh, He's one of my best friends today. So is he really, is yeah. he really, um, I got a lot of stories about Matt Henwood. <laughs> We had a lot. We had a lot of fun. A lot of fun at Marietta. I bet Th those will have to trade over. Um, you know, at a different time, I think. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, I literally have like seven. Um, all right. So here's what I would say, Alex. His dad, Tom Henwood, was my coach. Yeah. Absolute scholar of the sport. Understands how to. Oh, get I know. I know. It, yeah. Uh, at a really high level, and. The, the Macon blade was like, if you're going to learn how to row, you're learning how to row with this blade because it teaches you better than a hatchet blade. Um, you know, so it was like the foundation was paramount of in terms of the way we, we were going to learn. And um, how important do you think? I mean, is that is that something that if you were a junior coach today, would you implement that for your junior program as well? Is that something that you would follow doing? If I could find a set of hatchet, uh, if I could find a set of uh, making blades uh, versus hatchet blades, maybe. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. But I think the fundamentals can be taught in many ways. Uh, you know, it's I think I feel fortunate that, yes, I, I took my first strokes in a quad, but then pretty quickly I was out in an arrow, like a moss arrow. Shot, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bottom, basically a gig. Right. Um, and I was rowing, you know, like my, it, by myself. And the boat is an excellent teacher and you, you know, you get the fundamentals down and um, then all of a sudden, what makes our sport great competitiveness, you know, like you're next to another boat. What is, what is the directive? Be in front of the other boat, stay in front of the other boat for as long as you can. Right. So that's what I was thinking. Like, okay, I'm going to try to apply these fundamentals with my spoon blades in my wide body single and I'm just going to go for it. And um, I feel really lucky that I learned how to row that way. Um, whereas so many of our kids today um, learn how to row in an eight and they don't necessarily get to feel that, um, you know, that level of connection to the water and application. There's a, there's a, there's a simplicity to what you just said. Um, the boat's the teacher. Be competitive. Stay out in front as long as you can. That's it. That's rowing. You're pulling on a stick as hard as you possibly can for anywhere from six to 20 minutes. Um, all right. So what was the most successful race uh, victory that you had at Roman Catholic from 99 to 03? Um, so uh, again, I was fortunate to come to a program that had in the year 2000. So they had won uh, the Stotesbury's, the Nationals. Uh, they had won Canadian Henley for the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're now, these are the guys I'm looking up to as a freshman. These are juniors, seniors that would go on to row at some pretty good programs and do some pretty great things in collegiate rowing. Uh, had done it all at the uh, junior level. It was pretty cool to be a part of. Um, so then it was when I became a sophomore, um, trying to make the varsity, right? Like, so I'm, I finally get a set of, you know, I get hatchets in my hands for the first time, you know, and I'm just trying to go as fast as I can on the erg to kind of compete with these, 
um, these these upperclassmen that were pretty darn talented. Uh, not only had we won the varsity level, but we had also won in the JV level. Um, you know, so that, that it was a it was a programmatic. It was it was a program, right? And the success was universal. It wasn't just in one boat. Um, you know, so I started out um, in the spring of my sophomore year. I started out in the varsity. Um, you know, after having a decent for a sophomore, uh, you know, erg season, and um, you know, got knocked around a little bit by some older, more experienced guys. Moved into the JV and um, had a great season. We, you know, we won all the all the races that we needed to win. You know, the the, the cities, the Stokes, the Nationals, um, which you was won great. them. Boom, gold um, medal as a JV rower, which was great. Uh, and then kick it up to, I rode every summer, right? So we get um, that summer after my sophomore year, uh, guys like Matt Henwood, guys from LaSalle College, a couple of guys from the prep joined us um, for uh, our summer sculling team uh, in season at Crescent Boat Club. Our, 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 our coach, Mr. Henwood was the same coach. And, um, you know, we were fortunate to then in that year, row a quad that was pretty darn fast and we um ended up winning the u.s club nationals we won the <laughs> we won the canadian henley as a pretty young crew um you know in that same year i won the with uh, one of our quad mates was also rowing in the J j16 category so i was rowing both junior and junior b you know so it was a lot of fun a lot of racing a lot of um for for i feel fortunate uh, but a lot of winning and then that carried over to junior year, senior year. Um, I would say the biggest high school race for me uh, is obviously Stokesbury is huge, right? You got to win that. Yeah. It's always a big one. But um, in my junior year, we went to the youth nationals for the first time. Then it was called the youth invitational. US yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Cincinnati, yeah, yeah. right, Cincinnati. Everyone went to Cincinnati. And at that point, it was the top 18 crews in the country were invited, right? So it was it was three heats. 18 boats per event, um, you know, very, very much a different regatta than it is today. Yeah. Uh, but same idea, same regions pulling from everywhere. And um, this was the first time that, um, you know, Roman Catholic quad went to this regatta. And uh, we won it, which was great uh, in the quad. And <laughs> <You're> just... <laughs> You're just so casual about that. Yeah, no, we, we won that. And a lot of winning. We won this one. We did that. Uh, we did that. Like, come on, Al. No, on. I, I, I'm fortunate. But again, at that point, right, it was it was because, again, and this this is why programs are good. It's culture, right? The expectation is you can go in this. If we do everything we're asked to do and we have the internal belief, we can go do this. Um, so we won that. And I was fortunate also to row in the double at that regatta. And we won that, too. So to win two two events at youth nationals was pretty cool. Um, and then that trickled over to senior year that summer we went to Henley. It was pretty amazing. So how did you, um, how'd you do it? I, I had an incredible high school rowing experience. Incredible. How, how did you do at Henley your senior year? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we did okay. We ended up losing to the eventual winners in the semis or the quarterfinal. I can't remember which one it was, but we ended up losing to the winners, which was Leander and Evesham. Uh, rowing club by about a um, just a touch of open water and um, that crew went on to win pretty big in the final um, so we felt like we defended ourselves well um, if you're going to take a loss obviously I, I was pretty devastated at the time but looking back on it it was a pretty amazing experience so um, 
yeah henley's pretty pretty awesome as you as you know well yeah that's yeah kidding me um all right so let's talk college transition so 2002 2003 uh i think i got my first cell phone in 04 so internet was the, the dial-up you know i would i my parents they did that so the only thing i knew about college recruiting was i'd be like i really like florida because i want to surf so what's down there oh well fit so i would <laughs> ask like i would ask people about college recruiting and it wasn't until july after i already graduated that john van carey was sitting in my living room and he knew my dad from years ago and he's like you're going to come row at marietta so college recruiting is not what it is today i guess yeah. that's my my story absolutely not so how did you get recruited? Did you get recruited? Walk me through your junior, senior year. Yeah. Um, obviously, I, at that point, I, I do think I remember going to websites and filling out the recruiting questionnaire. And that yeah. was the thing. I, I remember having phone conversations with uh, some uh, some college coaches. Um, but yeah, it's, it's changed dramatically. Uh, I, I think I didn't know. I didn't know anything about the recruiting process. Nothing. Um, what I did know is that a lot of the guys that I rode with in high school um, that had, that were in those 2000, 2001 boats that did some pretty awesome things. Uh, a couple of those guys went on to row at Holy Cross. So I knew that there was um, kind of a pipeline there. Uh, so I reached out to those guys and uh, Tom Sullivan, the head coach at Holy Cross, yeah, good dude. Um, you know, reached out and invited me to come up. And um, so I had a great visit there. Um, on top of that, I went out to Cornell. I went to, to Dartmouth, um, Marietta. I had a great visit at Marietta. I'm sure you did. Uh, Coach Van Carey's, uh, you know, he, he's the man. Uh, had a great visit there. And uh, yeah, so I ended up applying to six schools, uh, Dartmouth, Cornell, Holy Cross, St. Joe's, Marietta, and maybe Delaware. And um you know, at the time, those were really good programs that everyone yeah. was looking at. So I just was kind of going through the motions. And do you uh, think that you're sorry to interrupt, but do you think that uh, your sculling experience hindered your ability to go to maybe a bigger school? Because sculling, like, yeah, sure, you won all these events, but most collegiate coaches were like, nope, sweep, I only care about the eight. Like, did that make uh, effect in you at all? I don't know. I mean, I think winning is winning. I think coaches get excited about guys that move boats. At least I do, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, like I'm six, two at that time I was 160 pounds, you know, um, I had a decent erg score for my, for my size. And what, what was, so tell me, what was it? What's tell, what was your two K in my senior year? I think I was right around six thirty, maybe six twenty eight. Um, getting, but again, that was senior year you know, in my senior spring. Um, yeah. So, but I was like one of those tweener guys where I was getting recruited lightweight, heavyweight, you know, open weight, yada, yada, yada. So I, I again, I don't think I navigated the recruiting process all that well, uh, but I ended up in a great place. Uh, do I think my skilling inhibited me? Uh, no, I, I don't. Um, I think what did was necessary, was maybe timeline, right? Like my, after my senior year of high school, um, my doubles partner and I, Glenn O'Hal, who you probably recognize the name, pretty yeah. good guy, uh, has done some good things in the sport. He and I won the junior trials and uh, went to junior worlds in the double after my senior year. So um, obviously after that, there was a lot of interest, you know, after we won the trials and everyone's like, oh, you're a senior. Oh, you're a senior. 
you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Holy Cross, really excited about it. <laughs> so um, I think, you know, uh, had that happened as a junior, I don't know, would I have had more interest? I don't know. What did you, did you spend any time sweep, sweep rowing at all? Like in, in those four years? So uh, every year we would race the Catholic league championship, uh, yeah. which is all the Philly Catholic schools. So St. Joe's prep, uh, you know, Monsignor Bonner, LaSalle high school, Roman father judge. Uh, and this, and the Catholic league championship at the time was the varsity eight. That was it. One race. Boom. Uh, so we got, you know, we got in the, the eight, three days before the, um, you know, three days before the race. And um, we would then um, just go out and compete. So usually it would be the varsity quad, the varsity double, and maybe like two guys from sure. the JV quad. And then, um, you know, we would, we would go out and row. So wow. now at the time, LaSalle was pretty, pretty fast. Uh, Prep had a really good boat, you know, three. Um, how did you guys do? in that race like dead last like just tell me did you, no, you know, I, I think I, I mean I think we were third I it was like usually prep with Sal Roman um would generally be how it goes um we felt like we could hang with um the top crews for about half the race but I mean literally Alex the boat that we would row was like a 1989 yeah. triple XL Vespoli <laughs> I mean, like borrowed, like a borrowed. Like when you're getting in, like you know, sculling boats are kind of sexy, right? Like they're, they're, yeah. they're you know, oh quad God. is pretty narrow. You're in it, right? You get into this eight, and it's a bathtub. You're like, what the heck is it? Um, All right, so you go to you go to Holy fun. Cross. You 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 scoot up north. You go to Holy Cross. Uh, you know, you're not. You're, look, you're winning some races. You guys aren't dominating. Everyone knows Holy Cross is not a program that's competitive the ira like you're just not okay so you had a really good experience what was your major because i i love talking about this because like you're a crew coach you're not some i don't know scientist somewhere so what was your what was your major at holy cross uh there are some crew coaches that are pretty pretty well accomplished scientists no question i am i unfortunately am not one of them uh i i was a history major i love it i love it history major all right so you go to you go to holy cross I can just see it. I can see a young Al Monte, you know, tackling the world like, hey, look at my ego. I just won all these races. Uh, you come in, you got this, you know, you got the good vibes going. What, in your mind, put yourself back to when you were 18, 19. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Like, what was the goal after graduating college? I wanted to make the most money I could, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that was it, huh? I mean, I, I I didn't really know. I wasn't like, oh, I want to be this. I want to be that. Um, obviously, I had some interest, but I think at that point, I was like, I just want to be successful. I yeah. don't know what that is. I don't really know what my passion is quite yet, um, but I want to be successful. And I think rowing honestly laid the foundation for that because it was like, oh, I really enjoy this feeling of success. Um, and that's carried through over a lot of a lot of what I am and what I do and how I behave and how sure. I think about things. All right. So you do, uh, okay. Holy cross again, going back to like, you, you did some races, a lot of dual races, um, find some, find some success in your racing. Are you doing summer training? Are you doing summer regattas? Are you back in the sculling boat? Cause you know, going from the experience you had in high school, yeah. it's so hard to take a step back in the success train that you're on. Uh, it's so here's what I'll say. I had an incredible experience at Holy Cross as well. Um, you know, I was part of some crews that had um, really changed the 
changed the nature of the program. I mean, Holy Cross, when um, they, they were really successful at the New England level, you know, they had won the New Englands, I think the year that uh, before I arrived, so like my senior year, yep. uh, high school. So we're coming in and um, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of good guys around the program. Uh, they hadn't quite taken that next step of like racing the varsity eight at the IRA level, um, you know, and I was fortunate to be a part of some crews that that was able to, to bridge that gap and do that, do it at a competitive level. You know, um, the high water mark for the varsity eight at the Eastern Sprints, you know, we were luckily we had a good year. We were invited as um, as one of the hosts of the Eastern Sprints of one, you know, uh, Holy Cross Rose on Lake Winsigamond. That's sure. their home. Sure, sure, sure. Um, there is a dual race between WPI, Worcester Polytech, and Holy Cross every year to be the city champion. The city champion gets an, um, an, a bid to the Eastern Sprint should they want to take it. Um, and our coach said, guys, I think you're fast enough to do this. Uh, so we, in my freshman year, we did that. Um, didn't fare so well, but we beat a few crews. And then in my sophomore year, uh, we had a pretty quick boat. And uh, we, we finished 10th at the Sprint. So we finished fourth in the Petite. Um, at that point, it was a full field of 18 crews. Um, so it was, uh, it was good. You know, it's a good feeling to feel like we're changing. It's a culture shift. I mean, that's a culture yeah. shift, right? Um, yeah. You know, I had, I had Greg Meyer at uh, GW, a guy who also coached at Penn. And that was the same thing. This like 2004 to 2008 era, we were culture shifting. You know, we went, GW was, I don't even know, ECACs. And then when he came in, he says, and luckily he had enough pull be like, Hey, GW should go to the IRA and talk about a, a culture shock for me. I mean, to line up at Eastern sprints on your Lake that you rode on every day. I remember being under that bridge and hearing Princeton lane one, uh, Harvard lane two, you know, GW lane five. I'm like, what am I like, what am I doing right now? That's the big uh, time. That's the big time. Uh, did you, but let me get back to it. Did you do summer rowing? Did you do summer racing? Were you competitive at that level? What, where were you going yeah. at that time? Yeah. So uh, I, I did, I rode every summer um, that I competed. So uh, starting as in 1999, I rode that summer, I rode every summer after that. Uh, when I got back to Philly after my freshman year of college, uh, I didn't want to get back into sculling. Um, you know, I did a, a little rowing at Undyne for a bit, uh, which was great. They welcomed me in. And then I um, I ended up rowing for Penn AC after my freshman year. Uh, there was a big program out, run out of the Penn Boathouse. Uh, Seth Brennan, the freshman coach of Penn at the time, was the head coach in running that program. And there were some really good guys. Uh, so I was surrounded by some good guys. And while I did want to get back to my sculling roots, I felt like my big deficiency, having not swept all that much was I need to learn how to sweep row better. Sure. Um, so I was like, how do I put myself in a position where I can be surrounded by guys that know how to pull on a big oar uh, pretty darn well and uh, had a great summer rowing at Penn AC under Seth. So did you, did, were you uh, lucky enough to not have to have like a summer job as a side hustle or it, were you just rowing all the time? Like what, what was that? Uh, nope. I was not that fortunate. Uh, I did work in the summer times. I was a valet uh at uh philadelphia park racetrack up in the northeast so yeah yeah that job must have been awesome was that a good job i wouldn't say so uh <laughs> you know i learned a lot and uh put a little put a little money in my pocket which was good and um no it was good i mean it was it was good i think it's to 
I, I like that. I, I, okay, so basically rowing in the mornings, rowing late in the afternoons, you know, doing ballet midday, maybe at nighttime. Right. What, what a time to be alive. At, at what point, so I, I don't even know what happens to you after college. So are, do you get right into coaching or at what point does that become a reality to you? Like, I want to keep doing yeah. this. I want to get involved. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, going back to the summer coach, uh, summer uh, rowing. Um, so in my junior year, or was that either my junior or sophomore year, I was invited to the under 23 camp in 20, 20, uh, 2006 uh, for the sculling group. So that group was being run out of Boston uh, with Bill Manning and uh, John Lindbergh were running that group. And I got invited and I was like, okay, where do I sign? I'm going. Right. Uh, and my parents, I had an internship lined up at the time. Uh, it, you know, and it was a pretty good internship. And they were like, you're going to do the internship. And I was like, mm, nope, I'm going to go row. <laughs> and they were like, mm, you're going to do the internship. And I said, I appreciate what you're saying, uh, but I need to do this. I really want to test myself at the next level. And they said, well, basically the ultimatum was, all right, well, you can do what you want, but you were not supporting you. And I was like, okay, so I had, a, I had all my pocket money from my ballet experience and, um, you know, birthdays and uh, savings bonds from grandparents. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to selection camp. Uh, and I don't even know how I figured out how to do this, but I opened a credit card. <laughs> I didn't even know that I had no credit, you know? Uh, so I had this credit card um, that was in my name, not my parents' name. So I had to... <laughs> I had to eventually pay the bill and I think it had a thousand dollar limit on it or something. And, yeah, uh, like nothing. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a pretty lean summer. I, I think I went in around 185 pounds to the camp and left around 160 <laughs> pounds. But I went and, um, you know. You know I, I, I gotta tell you, I, I think I love, what I love about that is I, I could picture myself, so I have three kids and I could picture, you know, my son coming up. Dad, I want to do this. Or my daughter, I'd be like, I want to do this. I think it's so important for parents to be like, all right, well, that's your choice, but we ain't supporting it, right? <laughs> you need that. You need that, that moment in life. And I'm, I'm assuming from the experience that you had, it really changed you. Like that was a fork in the road, right? For you, was. that was a really powerful moment. And you went with your gut. So what was the result? What happened? Yeah. You know, I did well at the camp. I think we started with 16 guys. You know, I made it down to the um, buying for the last seat in the quad uh, and uh, unfortunately didn't get it. And I was the spare. So, um, you know, I was the fifth guy. Was that gutted? Like, did that, did that gut you? Did that like just really irk you? How many, I, let me ask you this, Al, did you blame other people? Was there a lot of that, oh man, that guy, or was there a blame game or did you accept that you weren't good enough? Uh, I think neither. I didn't accept I wasn't good enough. Okay. Um, if you ask me now, I think I should have made the boat, uh, you know, but I think that's any, I feel like any competitive person would say that, right? I, yeah, I, I, I believe, I, you know, I believe the boat was faster with me in it, um, but it wasn't my decision. And, you know, now on the other side of the megaphone, I deal with that now. And I want guys to feel that way. Like, oh, sure. Okay. I want them to passionately say, like, I want that. I think I'm faster. Okay, great. Prove it. 
you know, you and maybe my mistake was I didn't prove it well enough. So I, I always, I always look back on, well, what could I have done? Yeah. You know, again, I was probably 175 pounds at the camp, not the strongest guy there, six foot two. Um, you know, there are, there are bigger, flashier guys and, um, you know, whatever, you know, I'm not the coach, I'm not making the boat. So um, all I could do is go out there and try to row as fast as I could. Um, and I, I did that. And I was proud of what I laid out there. And um, yeah. So did you travel overseas as the spare rower? Did you go to the U23 World Championships as a spare? No, no, I did not. Because you didn't have any money. I mean, like, I can't, <laughs> it's like you ran out of money. You had a thousand bucks. Yeah, I think at that point I was pretty tapped out. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this was your junior to senior. Or was this your after your senior year? Like, what, what, where was 2006? This? So the summer of 06. So that had to be after my junior year. Your junior year. Okay, so Bill Manning, uh, Lindbergh. Okay, got it. Like, didn't make the boat. U23. Moving on. You get your senior year of Holy Cross. Um, successful year. I know you guys did well. Uh, but what happens next? What, what, where does your career take you next after graduating? Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, at that point I would continue rowing, you know, um, that, that's really kind of the start of my coaching, to be honest, right? So I got into coaching uh, some junior programs. Um, I did a little bit when I came back from selection camp uh, in 06, I coached with the Fairmount team, the Fairmount junior program, you know, run by Mr. Henwood, Molly Kanaka, a lot of boathouse row names. Um, sure, sure. So we're running a pretty good camp out of there. Uh, I think Matt was also coaching there as well, Matt Henwood. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of hopped in and said, hey, I'll help out. I'm, I'm back. Um, and then in 07, I uh, did the same thing. So I came back and I started rowing with Matt Henwood in the double uh, after college. You know, we, we did summer racing circuit, did, did pretty well. And then uh, we were coaching the junior team on the side, the, junior, the Fairmount Junior Program uh, out of Boathouse Row. So that's how I got my start, um, I would say, in coaching. Um, but really, the reality then shifted to, okay, I, was, I had accumulated a bunch of debt. Uh, on, on top of my $1,000 credit card that I needed to pay off, I also had all my student loans. And going back to what I said originally, my, my thought process was like, okay, now I have to transition this success and this drive into my career. Um, and I was fortunate to get a job uh, in Princeton in insurance. And, um, and it was a great job. I was the youngest person they had ever hired for the job. And I was not qualified at all. I think the only thing the recruiter really liked is that I was captain of the team. Um, I was division one athlete and maybe I had a little bit of an edge. I don't know why they hired me, but they did. Uh, and I was fortunate. I was, I was um, working for a brokerage, right? So um, we were, our job as producers, there were eight of us in the firm, right? I'm green as grass. And there are people that have been doing this for 25, 30 years that are really good and have these monster books of business. Um, at the second largest firm in New Jersey, like I was working there and there are eight producers. So we have to go out and get the business and, um, you know, go through the licensing of becoming an insurance broker, the whole nine yards. So that takes about two months. And then it was 10 months, you know, then it was like, okay, hit the ground running, make some phone calls, figure it out, go find some business, figure out even what what field, you know, I was doing commercial lines. So that's businesses, right? Property and casualty, you know, do you want to go after, you know, I, I started to move toward medical malpractice insurance. So I was reaching out, cold calling a lot of uh, 
you know, uh, doctor's offices, essentially, uh, groups and saying, hey, I think I can give you a better rate on your, you know, medical malpractice insurance that every doctor hates. They don't want to pay it, right? Yeah. Uh, but they pay a lot for it. Um, and then uh, obviously it was a little bit more intricate than that and a little bit more nuanced, but um, had a really successful year um, in, in, in the insurance field. What I, what I wasn't able to transfer over was my own competitive, you know, outlet. I, I felt like I was a drone kind of going through these motions and collecting this business, but I wasn't getting the high of going out on the water and, and feeling that affirmation, you know, you weren't, you weren't getting, you know, so look, I'm just going to use me as a reference. Like when I sell a boat or when I lock down a repair or I deliver a pair, I get that high. It spikes. I'm like, hell yeah. Like I'm, I'm going right. But you weren't experiencing that in insurance. So you would close business or you would make that call and you get that next step, but you never had that. Boom. Is that is right? You just never had that. It, was, it, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same feeling. Uh, obviously, whenever someone says, hey, you're doing a good job, it makes you feel good, right? And yeah, whenever yeah, yeah, yeah. you are, you know, tangibly saying like, oh, this is the commission I'm going to get for closing this big firm, right? It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I remember the moment for me, Alex, was I was, we, we had just closed uh, a pretty big client, right? So this gastro, gastroenterology firm, um, million plus in premium, big deal, right? Wow. Like it's pretty cool. Um, and I had a conversation with the lead uh, broker in the firm and he, you know, uh, he sat me down and he was like, so, you know, you're doing a great job. Is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? For the next 40 years, is this what you want to do? And I was like, I'm 23 years old. I'm like, what? I can't answer I'm that. Like, what do you mean the rest of my life? I'm not even, I can't even think past like 25, you know, let alone the next 40 years. And so it was more of a rhetorical question. And the reason, and I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're going to get to a point out where you, your income, you're going to have to work to sustain your income. That's what this business is all about. You're going to be making premium, yada, yada, yada. So you're just going to have to keep the, keep the cart going, right? Keep the ball rolling, so to speak, that this will be your life for the next 40 years and you will have to maintain it. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Um, to think about. So I got my car, I drove home and I was like, I don't want to do this for the next 40 years. I am not as passionate about selling insurance as I am about rowing. Um, and I was really fortunate at the time. I did have a little bit of an outlet. So uh, Molly Kanopka uh, is the head coach at Episcopal Academy here in Philly. And she um, was like, hey, we'd love to have you come help out with, um, they were just transitioning to sculling at the time. And they said, love to have you come help help out uh, at that time was the girls quad. They had one sculling boat, the girls quad. And I was like, great. So whenever I could get a free moment, I would go down and help out this girls quad on the Schuylkill River. And they had been winning some races, which was really awesome to see, particularly in their, you know, pretty early in their evolution as a sculling team. And now sure. they're much, much more well-established and Molly has done a great job of, of keeping that going. But this group was the foundation, the first group. And, um, that group ended up winning the uh, SRAs for the first time in school history in the women's quad. And uh, to just kind of be a little bit a part of that 
just that ignited everything in me of that competitiveness that I was missing, right? Uh, that the, the outlet of rowing gave me. And I said to myself, I don't know, maybe my resume is good enough that somewhere someone would want to hire me to coach full-time. And where'd you go? So I put a few applications out and um, to a couple of collegiate programs. Most of them didn't get back to me. You know, I'm again, green as grass, haven't done very much as a coach. Sure. Um, I did get a couple phone calls back. Uh, and to make a long story short, I ended up going to Bucknell University uh, to be the freshman coach there under Paul Bugenhagen, who was the head coach at the time and um, had an amazing experience. Uh, so and you I, just wanted to, I mean, so, you know, there's a lot of successful, financially successful coaches at the junior level. Um, you, you didn't want to stick that route. You wanted to go all the way to the collegiate level. Like that, that was, it was dead set for you. That's it. Again, I, I think at that time, so this was 2007, I think these junior programs that have turned into what they are, I don't think was the same level then. Okay. Yeah. Good point. That, no, that's a good point. Uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I did miss, I, I took the wrong turn, Alex. I should have started this conglomeration of junior rowing. Right. Maybe. Um, but no, I, I knew that I knew that I, I liked, I really enjoyed my collegiate experience uh, to be a, in my mind, to be a professional coach was um, you're a college coach. Right. That that is a professional coach. No, I, I my high school coaches were all they had other jobs. You know, they were coming down and you know, this was their secondary thing that they were just doing to help us out. I appreciate that. That's I, you know, college coach, that's it. That's a career. Um, you're there at Bucknell. I, I want to skip oh, I want to skip around because I want to get to our okay. the meteor part of the question. So sure. Bucknell, Dartmouth, Penn, is that the is that the path that you've taken? That is the path. All right, let's talk about Dartmouth. Yep. Um, I've been talking about this a lot this season, and there's only a handful of teams that have won the IRA, like, in the last 14 years, hmm. uh, 15 years. And uh, Dartmouth, however, started peeking their nose out a little bit. It's like, whoa, there's some speed here. Holy cow. Wide Allen comes in. You know, you're there. You got a really big program. Um, what was – what was uh, how do I put this? I, I want to know at what point did that culture shift? At what point did, did Dartmouth start saying to themselves, we can win this thing. You know, we can win because there's a lot of chatter, you know, Dartmouth is quick. So when was that, when was that moment? Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, and I say this to Wyatt often, like I would not be here today if it wasn't for Wyatt giving me, me a chance. Uh, at Dartmouth. So when he took the job in, in 2014, uh, shortly after that, he hired me to come in and, and be the uh, assistant, right? And I had coming, I was the head coach at Bucknell for the previous three years. Before that, I was three years at Bucknell as the, as the assistant coach, six years total at Bucknell. And we had, you know, on some level, it was the best year ever at Bucknell. It was awesome. Love those guys. Um, I was comfortable. I was like, I'm 26 years old. Uh, you know, I became a head coach at 26. 29, right? Um, yeah. I'm three years into this thing. We're rolling, you know, at Bucknell. It's a good spot. Um, Paul Bugenhagen, who was the previous head coach at Bucknell, said, hey, Wyatt Allen is now the head coach at Dartmouth. Um, you should, I, you know, Wyatt's a great guy. I want to connect you with him. I think you guys would, you know, he's looking for an assistant. I think you guys would be a good team. And I was like, Dartmouth, man, I don't know. Um, okay, sure. Uh, happy to have that conversation. Like who wouldn't want to talk to, you know, 
a two-time Olympian. Olympic, yeah, two-time <laughs> Olympic medalist, you know, a uh, gold and bronze medalist. I was like, yeah, sure. I, that's cool. I'd love to do that. Uh, so Paul connected a uh, wide and I, wide and I had a phone conversation and I went in honestly with trepidation. I wasn't, I was like, eh, I'm pretty good where I am, you know? And after that phone call, I was like, okay, Wyatt, I can't wait. I can't wait to come up and see this place. You know, so pretty, pretty shortly after I'm on a plane, you know, the rest is history. Wyatt offered me the job and you know, we get there. Uh, certainly in 2014, we were not a team that we thought could win the IRA uh, or even talk about it. Yeah. Um, the, the previous year, I, you know, they were in the fourth level final um, toward the back end of the fourth level final, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, you know, we had a, a we were rebuilding or we full on rebuilding mode. Um, the fortunate thing is we had a group of guys at that time that um, just bought in really to the to the changes that uh, Wyatt was bringing and that I was helping to assist him in in uh, trying to create this culture, and um, that was critical. And I think from there, obviously, the Dartmouth program has continued to build. So, um, but I would say 2019, you know, it started to get a sniff. 2017, the varsity made the grand final of the sprints for the first time uh, under Wyatt's leadership, which was awesome. Uh, we had other JVs and 3Vs that were making the grand final of the sprints. So all of a sudden now you're like in the conversation, right? Like we could medal, um, you know, and if you're meddling at the sprints, you know, then it says, okay, you know, you insert Cal and Washington and the West Coast crews. Okay. It's a little bit harder, but you can, you're still in the conversation. You can get mm -hmm. there. Um, and that was just the natural build. And then 21 comes, um, and, you know, we were fortunate to have not our entire squad by any stretch on campus, but the guys that we had um, were good enough to compete. And we didn't even have our best guy um, in the varsity eight in 21. And they went and won a bronze medal at the IRA, which was a big deal. Uh, and uh, followed by our JV got a silver, right? And our 3V got a bronze, right? So all three boats for the first time in program history medal at the IRA. Uh, but it wasn't until 2019, it was five long years of this just build, 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 build until you started saying the conversation internally in the boathouse is like, I think we could do something here. Uh, I think we can really do something. Yeah. That five. obviously has recruiting was probably the major factor of that, right? And it's like, you got to have the guys. And I'm assuming that was your job. Like your job was recruiting. Is that a fair thing to say? It's a big portion of what I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you roll in, you roll into a, a kid's house, you, you flash your pearly white, you get the smile going, you're like, come to Dartmouth. You're like, what was the sales pitch to come to Dartmouth? Because again, the uh, year before, I bring this up because the year before and all those other years, Dartmouth is the little engine that could. It's like, you know, if you're good enough to go to Dartmouth, you're good enough to go to the other programs that are winning. So what was the sales pitch to build that program? It's a good question. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of things. Obviously, um, first you got to charm the moms. You know, charm and, the mom. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, you got to make no, sure. That no, you're not kidding. You are not kidding. Spot. <laughs> it's it's a holistic thing, Alex. I mean, like obviously, there's the height, the weight, the erg. You know, you're looking at all that stuff, and yeah. then it's getting this, them to want to come to you. Uh, but I think what our our team was able to do was generate buzz. Right. So there was there was a good vibe in the community of like what's going on at Dartmouth. I think obviously I, um, as one of the 
you know, mouthpieces of the program, so to speak. Um, certainly Wyatt and our others, you know, um, Stu and uh, Taylor and our other assistants, uh, obviously were a big part of that too. Um, but it was basically educating people to say, hey, this is another option, you know? And if you're looking at that, you need to look here too, because I think you're gonna be surprised by what you see. And, um, and, then, the, and then really the team does the rest of the work for you. Um, and I'm not gonna get too much into that. Um, sure, I don't I think know. There's, there's certain things, but it's, who do you want to spend your time with? What yeah. do you want to spend your time with? Who do you, who do you want to, who do you want to work hard for, you know, in terms of your coaching staff and, um, and are you able to write your name on every stroke, you know, at the end of your, I like that. You say, this is what we were able to do. Um, and that changed things. So I think there's a qualitative difference between, um, a building program. And I certainly feel that way now at Penn, um, yeah. again, and um, going to a more established program. There's a qualitative dis difference um, there for the, for the athlete. Mm. Okay. I like the way you skirted around some of that question. I'll stay, I'll, I'll move on, Al, I'll move on. <laughs> but let, let's talk about the fact that Penn has had a lot of coaches uh, over the years, the, the buzz, the communication around the program, you know, person looking outside in says the alumni gets in the way. They're never going to be successful. Penn was one of the most dominating schools in rowing history. You know, you have some of the biggest names that came out of Penn. Yep. Um, you go through the, you go through the recruiting process, you get the job. Why on earth did you take that job? Cause it feels like, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, Al. It feels like it's an unwinnable job. That's wow. what it feels like. It feels like from where we sit here that, and I just bring this up because how, otherwise you've had so many different coaches, you know, there's, there's things happening in the universe, but uh, tell me why you took the job. There are very few programs that have the historic success that Penn has, and they have the resources to compete at the level it takes to, to put yourself in the conversation to win a national championship. Penn is one of those places. So when someone said, here's the keys to the castle, I couldn't say yes fast enough. Now, that doesn't mean it was an easy decision, uh, you know, for all the reasons that you specified, but I mean, this place is amazing. <laughs> you know, and, and when you get to experience it and see it for all its multifacets, um, and uh, it's a no-brainer. You really, this is, this is so funny you say that. I think you're a child of Philadelphia. So I think Penn in general is just, you put it on a pedestal. I don't care what you think or what you say, you naturally put it there. But as a rower walking into that boathouse, smelling what you smell, the imagery, the success, you know, you buy into it. You can't, you just like, you don't want to leave. So I totally understand that. I, I understand why. I understand your, your reasoning. Um, I guess I just, I'm sure you tackled this. You know, you, you, you have people in your life that you were bouncing this off of, right? Every day for, sure. for probably weeks and weeks and weeks. Can you tell me or tell the audience here, like pro and cons list, which I'm sure you did. That was a thing my dad said, pros and cons. What were the cons? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you look at the last 20 years, um, it's been a little bit of, I mean, you've already indicated some of the challenges, right? The coaching turnover, um, you know, uh, the maybe the administration not giving it uh, the, the culture enough time to develop in the way that it needs to develop, um, you know, whatever it is. Or a coach, you know, like I think in Brian's case, they were doing some good stuff before I got here. They sure were. You know, and I feel incredibly lucky that I'm walking in not at ground zero, um, you know, which I think uh, in some ways Brian walked in at ground, uh, ground zero and um, and I'm able to help build off of what he already created. So uh, there's a spark here and you it, it's impossible not to feel like there's a couple of ways you can there's weight to this job. Right. And obviously any head coaching job, there's weight to it. Um, you know, there is the, the, the historic pressure of success, right? Well, mm -hmm. there's an, there is an expectation in some ways of, um, no, we should be at the top. We should be back near the top. Okay. Then there's the reality of the situation, right? For a lot of that institutional memory, um, that's all it is. You know, there's not a lot of what has happened over the last um, 20 years, I guess, uh, in order to say, hey, we're back, we're back in the in the mix at that level. Right. So it's, it's connecting the dots between the two. Um, and that's, I think, one of obviously one of the exciting challenges that I'm, you know, working on every day is to say, hey, guys, like, we stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us. Um, look at this building, look at look at what has happened here in the historic success of this program, that can be us. It's going to take time, but it can be us. And then it's connecting the dots for recruits, right? And listen, Penn does an incredible job of selling itself. It is one of the world's best universities, yeah. you know, and that is, that is something that helps me immensely whenever I go out and try to talk about um, this place to other people. I don't have to sell that, you know, uh, which is a good thing. On this, it's about belief and the feeling and the group and the culture that we're building and all those different things. If we can get those pieces right, I don't see why we can't be successful. And going back to the Dartmouth piece, like having just been a part of that process with sure. Dartmouth, I look at what we have available here and I think, yeah, we can do this. Uh, knowing what we had available at Dartmouth and knowing what we have available at Penn, I'm like 100%, we can do this. And I yeah, think I mean, that's, I think, way to, I, that's know, another I, way I, to think about it, Alex. Well, you, you, you sort of, you, you rolled into the, one of the questions I want to talk about, and I really don't think that there's a huge difference between Dartmouth and Penn. Um, Dartmouth, Penn has a longer history. Okay. Check, you know, check the box. You go, you both have great bodies of water. You both have administrations now that really support it. I mean, you both technically have brand new boathouses, right? Dartmouth just finished their uh, boathouse a couple of years ago at this point. Um, the only difference I, <laughs> I, I say this kind of funny is you don't have wide Allen, the multiple Olympian. That's the only thing you don't have really. That's, that's, they're very, they're very similar programs. And from a recruiting perspective, I think they're very similar uh, at the level of which they are competitive at the rowing you know, world, right? You have Dartmouth is faster. You, I mean, it's a faster program, but you were there to build it. Um, okay. So let's talk about recruits. Um, so much of my conversations with these very successful college coaches have been about recruiting, about the difference between Americans and Europeans. So um, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm told that there are about nine, maybe 10 men, boys in America that are good enough at the high school level to win the IRA. 
Okay. They're sub 615. They're going to be good enough and skilled enough to be sub 555 by college senior year. But there's like 40 of those guys every year in Europe. So you've been doing this a long time, Al. Walk me through the differences between American and international recruiter, recruits. Well, I would say first, um, I don't think there's all, I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite as, as stark as that. Uh, I think that our, the biggest difference between an American recruit and a European recruit, in my opinion, is time. What does that mean? Uh, European recruits tend to start earlier. Uh, maybe when they're 12, uh, you know, a little bit earlier than our, our, our guys tend to start. Uh, and the way that they're brought into the sport is different. Uh, much more in the fashion that I was brought in, in terms of sculling, uh, not really stepping into a sweet boat, creating, you know, creating the foundation that they can then build off of. I think for, uh, in art, we have a lot more, we have a lot more rowers here in the United States than a lot of those countries put together. Um, I don't think the development piece is quite there yet for our, our juniors. Uh, and I think it's getting better. I do think it's getting better. Uh, but I think that's the, that's the biggest difference. Uh, I think also um, the United States is this, I mean, we're a nation of, of athletes and sports. Uh, we have a lot of sports um, that draw a lot of, um, a lot of talented athletic guys away from even thinking about rowing. Right. Because it's one, it's a later to you learn it later in life. You're not learning how to row at age five, but you are learning how to play soccer. You are learning how to play, you know, T ball. You are learning how to do these things. Um, and I think people just matriculate down a different path. And I think there are less paths uh, in Europe. So more quality athletes tend to then pick up rowing at a later point. I think that's probably obvious. I just don't think that we probably bring that up as much, um, you know, in the conversation is you're, you're right. I mean, there's, I don't even know what the the ratio is from number of sports you can play in America versus other European countries. Um, this was kind of a leading question. You know, I kind of wanted you to say that America youth is not developed well enough and that we need to make a difference. We need to make a change. Uh, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but it's the truth. I mean, I, I've, I've been, I've been doing this a very long time. You and I both started rowing at the same time. Uh, I started what's called chicken dippers in, in a, a Viking rowing club. So I started my eighth grade year because you're a year older than I am. Uh, and and I, 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 don't, I, know that, I know that we don't do a good enough job. Um, it's unfortunate. Do you think, like, what big shifts do we have to do at the youth level uh, to get more of those quality athletes or to, you know, see better scores that prepare us for, uh, you know, IRA victories. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we have to become more visible as a sport, right? So we have to do a better job of, uh, letting people know we exist, right. And then they create excitement around our sport to get people involved. How do you do that uh, at Penn? How do you, how do you do that at Penn? How do you, how do you make and even at Dartmouth, how do you make the student body know you're, you exist? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, obviously, um, I don't know, maybe it's putting a boat out on the green, <laughs> you know, uh, in the middle of campus, people can see it. <laughs> I mean, I don't necessarily have to create visibility at Penn. 
I mean, I am an Ivy League head coach and we're at an Ivy League school, Ivy League program, right? Like it is almost, you know, it, it is just, of course you have a rowing program. You know, I think <laughs> those two things are synonymous, right? Like, I don't think the kids that I, you know, at Penn are thinking like, oh, of course there's a boathouse. Yes, of course, you know, uh, that's just, that is the world that this, that we live in. I think it's more doing it like, how do we get more public school kids involved? How do we, um, and maybe that's the middle middle school level, starting a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, maybe it's an ERG clinic. You know, I think there are certainly ways to introduce uh, athletes to our sport. Um, you know, and then it's making sure that, um, and listen, think about the last 20 years, Alex, right? Since we started rowing. Rowing has exploded. Oh. It's way bigger now than when we started. And a lot of that was the advent of NCAA women's rowing, which created more visibility, more, uh, more money, more resources into the sport. Um, and there's been a direct impact on the number of people that row now because of that. And it's even helped, you know, I think some coaches would contest this, but like, I do believe that uh, because of the influx of junior rowing, because of NCAA rowing, it's also helped IRA men's rowing. Um, and whether or not that matriculates into NCAA rowing, that's another conversation, you know, we'll see. Uh, but rowing is bigger now than it ever has been. We there's just, a, there's a, there's a patience level. So let me, let me, I'll, I'll drill this down. I'll give you, I don't have exact numbers, but there was a boom from 2000 to 2011, huge boom. And then it's completely plateaued. So if you look back at Stotesbury entries. And I use that as a barometer because Stotesbury is a really good indication of like growth in the sport. Um, and then even youth rowings like championships, but that's just really because they've just added more events. Um, but Stotesbury is a good barometer. So we've plateaued in our growth the last 10 years. So we saw a boom and there's a plateau. So I think a lot of people in the industry, um, because I, like, I see it from a different level. So I see industry in boat sales, repairs, transport. Like I see it there. And there has been a natural plateau. So we're looking at like, well, how do we get to the next level? You know, we need that, that push. And, and you and I are not going to solve that on an hour-long podcast interview. But I want to I um, let something sink in. And I, and I think it's so important um, for our journey and our careers, we're both the same age. We're both, we're that next generation driving the sport, right? Cause we're saying goodbye to a lot of the old heads and we're coming in at, at higher positions. Um, you said, I'm an Ivy league coach. I'm a head coach of an Ivy league program. Has that sunk in to your brain, Al Monty? I mean, dude, like let's let, let I'm going to paint your path right here for you. I, I'm just going to lay it all out. You start around in 1999. You had some shit jobs as an insurance agent broker in Princeton, New Jersey, right? Your parents said, see you later. Here's a credit. You got your credit card for a thousand bucks. You missed the U23 team. You're the head coach of Bucknell after a few years. You, you are number two at, at, at Dartmouth for about, what, five years? Eight years. Eight years. And now you are the head coach of Penn. Bro, there's not a lot of guys or women in this sport that have had those head coaching jobs. There's only a few of them. And I was reminded of that in my interview with Steve Gladstone, when he had the coaching jobs back in the sixties and seventies, he said, Alex, there was no women's rowing. Youth rowing was a joke. And there was only like 30 people in the country that had had coaching positions. Like, has that, has that actually like, 
hit you yet? Uh, fully, no. I mean, there are times I have to pinch myself. Honestly. Yeah, come on. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I'm so lucky. And Alex, I mean, this is, I, I was coming into the dock here or leaving the dock this morning at Penn and just looking at the boathouse, looking at the skyline as the sun came came up. I'm, it's it's like overwhelming It's at times when you're like, wow, I can't believe this is what I get to do every day. It's incredible. Right. You know, and obviously not in every moment are you thinking about that because there's all the little day-to-day -day recruiting, but, you know, fundraising, yeah. this, emails, injury reports, yada, 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 right, that you're going through um, that take you away from that. But when you, yeah, when you look from the macro level, like well, sometimes I, I get there and I, I'm just, um, it's overwhelming. I feel so incredibly lucky. Um, and rowing, Alex, rowing has changed my life. I don't know where I would be or who I would be if I wasn't, I wouldn't have gone to Holy Cross. No, I would have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten that insurance job. I wouldn't have been an insurance broker. Uh, you know, I don't know where I'd be, uh, but I'm here. And I think it's, uh, it's an incredible privilege and an honor. And um, I, I try to shepherd this with every ounce of me every day uh, to make it the best it can be and help these guys become better versions of themselves and uh, push this program forward. So it's, um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I got it. Yeah, it is. And I, and I just want to uh, point out to all us fellow, you know, 35 to 40 year olds, I think we're very proud. We're very proud to say a 38 year old man in the sport is the head coach of, like, you know, cause you just think, I was driving into the shop today and I was like, well, I'm interviewing Al Monte. And I was like, well, he's my age. And like, I would think the head coach position would be Stan Bergman at 82 years old. You know what I mean? You just think, or, well, no, it's like uh, the head coach has to be 55 years old. He's been doing it forever, but no, you're 38. It's just awesome. Like for, we're, I'm very proud of you and I'm very proud of the decision that Penn made, you know, cause there were other people that were interviewed for that job. People that have been doing it longer and the, the organization said, uh, you, well, look, this was uh, episode 14, season four, Al Monty, And uh, <laughs> I had a good, I really hope you enjoyed this interview. I mean, I sure did. I did. It was great. I appreciate it, Alex. Thank you. And, I, and I'm glad to have gotten to know you a little bit better. Uh, and now, all right, so we got the season coming up. You know, we got some dual races starting probably in a couple of weeks. Uh, are you nervous? Are you excited? How are you feeling for your first spring at Penn? Both. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, I'm excited yeah i mean i think there's always the anxiety of of, of the racing um and hopefully like um these guys are prepared enough to compete at that level um i think they are i think they've done some really good work i'm really uh encouraged and excited about what uh we've been able to build over the last few months here um it's a tough world out there alex as you know it's only getting tough <laughs> yeah, it's but, only uh, getting tough you know, that's, that's the exciting part is like, we get to go up against the best. We get to go up against the best and um, it's coming at us fast. So stay tuned. I mean, a couple of weeks. <laughs> I know. Stay tuned. Well, look, I, uh, I will see you at dual races. I am, I'm, uh, you know, I'm obsessed with this stuff. So this, this year I'm spending more time watching and attending collegiate races. Um, so maybe I'll call you up and be like, Hey, can I get in your launch to watch one of these dual races? And you, you can't say no, you gotta let me in. I gotta, I gotta take <laughs> 
Well, this is as long as you're not recording. As long as you're not recording. Oh, no, 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 no. I love that about this. I've I've got to this point where people are like, "Hey, off the record." I'm like, "Geez, dude, yeah, of course, off the record." I just want to watch racing. All right. Well, there we have it. Season four, episode fourteen. Al Monte, the head coach, the new, the new head coach of UPenn. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it.